Hi, I'm Madhuni Krishnan, editor of Skift Airline Weekly, and welcome to the podcast. We're doing something a little bit different with the podcast now. We're bringing you audio of our weekly live stream, Mondays with Skift Airline Weekly, which we broadcast every week, every Monday, at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. Join us next week. We'll take your questions while we discuss the hottest topics in the airline industry. You can register at forum.skift.com. Hi, and welcome to Mondays with Skift Airline Weekly. I'm your host, Madhuni Krishnan, and I'm joined today by a very special guest, Chris Jones, the Chief Marketing Officer at the International Airport in Las Vegas. Morning, Chris. Morning, Madhu. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Let's talk about Las Vegas, one of the biggest leisure destinations, or just O&D destinations in the country. Um, first, you know, when, um, when lockdown happened, I mean, what happened? What did you see at McCarran? How, how did uh, how did traffic fall off? Well, let me let me take it back a little bit even farther from from when the lockdown kicked in. Uh, you know, last year in calendar 2019 was the busiest year on record. So McCarran Airport oh. has been around for about 72, 73 years, opened in, in 1948. Um, 51.5 million people came through the doors in and out oh. at McCarran in 2019. So we were very excited about that. It's the first time we cracked 50 million passengers. And then we rolled into 2019, and over the first couple of months of the year, we were on a pace that would have exceeded the 51.5 million that we did in 2019. Start to hear these stories about COVID-19. You know, the first repercussions we started to see were some, in, you know, flight coming in from Korea that had to be diverted to LAX because of the quarantine station that exists there that we don't have. And like a lot of places in the United States, I think it seemed like it was something that was far off in other part of the world, notion away. Uh, we had for a period of time nonstop flights from China, but those went away in January, more for business reasons than anything to do with COVID-19. So it just, it seemed far off, but at the same time it was on everybody's mind. Um, fast forward, things start to heat up, things start to take a little bit more seriousness. We reach a point where the governor of Nevada implements a, a statewide shutdown, which took effect on the 18th of March. And our numbers in March, which would have been well above 4 million passengers had the month not been interrupted, ended up coming in around 2 million passengers. So half of what we saw January, February by, by a long shot. So we were at about 10 million through the first quarter of the year when we probably would have been closer to 12 or 13. Um, April was when we really knew that it was gonna come down. And in April, our numbers were around 150,000 passengers for the entire month. For the entire month? The entire month. Wow. That's less than what we would do on a busy day in 2019. Um, our May numbers, we still haven't received yet. Figured that they'll be a little bit better than April just because we started to see some gradual loosening of some of the restrictions. I think some of the parents as summer came along, um, you know, some of the travel that may have still been planned for summer vacations or kids being out of school and things like that. They still moved forward with some of those as, as we got closer to summer. And then on June 4th, the phase two of the Nevada's reopening kicked in. That allowed the casinos to reopen that gave people some incentive to want to come back here. And we've really started to see some encouraging numbers since then over the last couple of weeks. Now we're still a long way to go from where we were, uh, you know, last year, first part of this year, but it's been encouraging to see that once the faucet has been twisted a little bit, that there has been a little bit of flow of travelers both coming in and out of Las Vegas. And, and we hope to continue to build on that. Well, let's back up to something you, you referred to just a minute ago when you were talking about the, the traffic falling off. Um, Las Vegas in general has seen a, a growing number of visitors from Asia, particularly China. Um, mm -hmm. when, did you start to notice the, um, the sort of the fall off in numbers with vis visitors from that from the Asia Pacific before it uh, 
before you started to see the fall off in, in numbers for the general public from elsewhere? Well, the, the China market had been um, a relatively new one for us. We ended up getting nonstop service with Hainan Airlines in December of 2016. And it was something that we tried to build and tried to build and, and put a lot of effort into it. But as its own, it, it never fully caught on. And, and I don't know, you know where exactly to place the blame for all of that. I do think that the, the tenor politically between the United States and China certainly twisted um, in a negative manner going into 2017, 2018. That didn't help. Um, but I really think that the, the absence of our China nonstop service really was not COVID related. It was more business conditions, political conditions. You know, when you're in the midst of a heated trade war with a, a country, it doesn't facilitate the idea of leisure travel coming from one nation to another. Um, when you're talking about visas being rejected, we heard a lot of allegations that Chinese weren't able to get visas that they were able to get before. Um, it's just, it never, the timing didn't work well in our favor, which is a shame because we worked very hard to get that flight. And I think in, in different circumstances, it, it might've really done well, um, but not so much COVID-19 related. Um, we still continue to have service from um, Korean Air up until the point that this international stuff shut down with COVID. Um, their numbers were actually doing really, really well. So up until the, the outbreak and the crisis of health, I think we still had some very robust ability to get people over from Asia, uh, not only for business, but for leisure travel. And we hope to get that back once everything gets back to closer to normal. Hmm. Okay, and up to fast forward to the present, I mean, it's probably too early for you to have hard data on um, on traffic since June 4th when the casino started to reopen. But have you seen anecdotally just more tra more foot traffic in the airport? Absolutely. Um, it's, it's funny, when I walk into the airport and I, I park my car and then I walk across an area where there is a, an open window that we can look down into the terminal for about 50 feet, 100 feet, however long it takes me to walk from one side of the room to the other. And what I noticed the most during this crisis was I would always look down to my left or my right, depending on if it's coming or going from my car, and you wouldn't see people. You, know, you might see one person walking, it might be an employee, you might see completely nothing. And then walking imagine. through Karen like that, to be honest, it, it was surreal. It really was surreal. <laughs> yeah. I've been coming to this airport since I was a kid and never in my life have I seen anything like we saw in, in the latter part of March and April and into the early part of May. Restaurants closed, slot machines closed, just no one here. Hmm. Um, and at the low of the low, you know, we were getting reports from the DSA that we might see 2000 people, 1500 people a day on the outbound end going through the checkpoint. And that's inclusive of some employees that might have been going to and from um, oh. through the checkpoint as well. Um, before, you know, I ran the numbers for where we were the first two months of this year. We were doing about 185,000 people in and out. So if you have that number, you know, you're talking about 1,500 people versus, you know, 80,000 people, 90,000 people on a, on a good day. Um, and then we're down to 1,500. So flash forward, and, and since we've reopened, you know, some of the initial reports we've been getting from the TSA started to tick back up in May. You get to around the 9,000, 7,000 level. Since we've reopened, we are approaching the 20,000 outbound people per day. Okay. Um, so that's very encouraging. Um, anecdotally, again, I don't have the hard numbers from the airlines yet for May, let alone June. But the airlines have talked about some of the markets have been very, very robust that they've seen. Uh, you know, strong sales, all of the available seats sold in some airlines and some markets. Um, a lot of the domestic carriers have started to pump the service back into the market, which is also encouraging. Um, obviously, it's limited with the you know seat restrictions and some of the other challenges that they put into place. But 
we think what's going to happen initially and, and we what well, we thought and then now that we've you know started to see the actual returns it seems to be you know bearing fruit is the leisure travelers will come back um, the leisure travelers you know particularly those that are going to look for fair sensitivity your spirits your frontiers your southwests sun countries allegiance the, the lower cost carriers but even beyond that you know your americans and your deltas and things like that your legacy carriers are seeing some some strong things that we've heard as well too um, What's happening though right now is what brings you to Las Vegas and what has traditionally brought you to Las Vegas. And in conversations that I was having with our um, Convention and Visitors Authority, with the, you know, the ad agency that works to market Las Vegas, the people behind what happens here stays here. <laughs> One of the things that we've been very cognizant of is safety and, and you know, making people feel that they can be healthy here. And I know we'll talk about that in a moment. But the other point was, what can you do when you get here? Why are you coming? You know, what, what is that Las Vegas experience if not all of the hotels are open or not all the amenities are open? Um, and, and one of the things that we're still working through at the moment is one of the big draws for Las Vegas is the meeting and business conventions, your trade shows, all of those different large events like that, which right now can't happen. We're still in a phase where, you know, social distancing is an imperative. Uh, the governor right now is allowing up to 50 people for a gathering, but nothing beyond that. So you're talking about a major show that might draw 30,000. You know, we have shows that draw 160, 170,000 people. Those can't happen right now. And, and when those can't happen, that does a lot to diminish your demand for your midweek room occupancy, your midweek demand on, on airfare. And, and we think that, you know, the weekends are coming back like we suspected they will. And, and as the governor sees fit and as the health officials see fit to allow things to come back more for the midweek, then we hope to get that business back as well. Well, Chris, you know, let, let's pause there for and maybe you can explain it to some of our listeners. You and I were talking about that before we, we broadcast that there's a very weak weekly cycle to, sure. to traffic to Vegas. And could you just can you just uh, explain what you mean by the midweek weekend split? Yeah, I think, you know, years ago, people in Las Vegas figured out that there were always going to be the people that were going to come from L.A. or from Phoenix or Salt Lake or some of the other nearby markets. And they were going to come in and they were going to spend the weekend here, maybe three days on a Friday through Sunday or a Saturday through a Monday. And, and that wasn't a problem for Las Vegas. But the problem was they had these hotels and these staffs that they had to pay and that they were trying to fill on the other parts of the week. So years ago, they came up with this idea of building it as a convention business destination. Uh, a lot of other markets similar to us, Orlando is one that comes to mind, um, Anaheim, a lot of these other places. And, and they augment that leisure traveler with the weekend business with these midweek events. So Vegas has consistently in recent years had two waves. You had your leisure travelers that were coming in for the weekend. Maybe they arrived Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, stayed through, excuse me, Sunday, Monday, and, and this, this group of people would leave. And then as they were leaving, checking out on Sundays, checking out on Mondays, a new group of people would come in. And they're coming in to check in on Sunday, to check in on Monday, to be here for medical conventions, trade conventions, tech conventions, construction conventions, or even corporate meetings. Mm -hmm. So we did, you know, in excess of 6 million people last year for business travel alone. And I know a lot of people don't think of Las Vegas as a business market. It's not your traditional business market in the sense of a San Francisco or a Washington or Chicago, but we do get a lot of traffic through the airport. And that's one of the things is most of these business travelers fly. So right. their absence is noticed more at McCarran than it is on say I-15 or, or some of the highways that are leading into Las Vegas. So again, as we get that business back, as it's able to come back online and 
people have the confidence to be able to come back and start to come to some of those larger gatherings, we'll see that directly at the airport, hopefully soon. Right, and that, that tracks with uh, what's the emerging trend in the con conventional wisdom in the airline industry is that leisure travel will come back much, much earlier, especially domestic le leisure travel will come back faster than um, than international uh, international travel in any shape, but uh, but business travel as well. So, um, and part of that is a function of you know, as you, to your point, there are health restrictions, but also companies around the country and around the world have travel restrictions for their own of their own. Sure. So it's not you know, it's it's uh, sort of a double whammy, really. It's just it's health restrictions plus companies telling their employees they simply can't travel. Well, I think there's a couple other pieces to it, too. You, you have the financial ramifications. Right. There, there are businesses that might have sent 10 people to a trade show last year that this year the business doesn't exist. Or, or if they are willing to travel, maybe they can only afford to send one or two people. And, and all of that equates to room nights and air tickets sold and all those other pieces. The other big concern, you know, you mentioned international a moment ago. We still in Las Vegas don't have any international service yet that has resumed since, you know, this shutdown happened in you know February and March. Over time, you know, losing different markets, Europe at one point, Canada another. We thought, um, if you talked to me this time last week, I would have told you that we would have some back by the end of June. Um, now I'm not so certain that that's going to happen. So, so we're watching very closely what's going to happen. Um, I think we're we're pretty confident that Canada will be the first market to resume, um, Mexico soon thereafter, but. I think for destinations like Las Vegas, for, for a lot of other markets that have relied or come to rely on international travel, we're watching very carefully what's happening in Washington, what's happening in all of the other world capitals, and, and when is that appetite to lift some of these travel restrictions? I know intra-Europe just opened up, but you still don't have the free flow of travel between Europe and the United States. And I've had conversations with several air carriers that have said, look, we're, we're ready and willing to come back but there's still that federal hurdle that exists both on this side of the ocean and on the others. And, and that's something that we're really hoping to see some, you know, I don't want anybody to do anything prematurely. I don't want them to do anything that's going to, you know, in, increase the risk of um, health problems for people. But it is interesting that there hasn't been a lot of open dialogue or a lot of, um, at least if there is dialogue, it's not being reported what's happening to have a little bit more clarity of, you know, we're eyeing August, we're eyeing September, we're not eyeing 20 until 2021, whatever it is, it just isn't being talked about. So I'm hoping that we can get some progress on that and, and get a little bit more clarity. Well, I think that no one, <clears throat> no one knows is the problem. And this is yeah. sort of what IATA has been, has been hammering for the last several weeks in their weekly press conferences. The, the, there just needs to be a coordinator approach worldwide. I agree. And totally agree. It doesn't exist, but Canada is interesting because I believe, you know, the U S and Canada are, are um, in talks or proposing to extend the, the, sort of the close to extend the closing of the border till the end of July. Um, and there's the pro I, I believe there's a, there's, I, I don't know how much longer the self quarantining will, will take place on the Canadian side, but that does make a long weekend in, in Vegas, a difficult proposition. If you have to go for, yeah. go to Vegas for three days and come back and sit, sit at home for 14. Yeah. I don't see very many people doing that, whether they're Canadian or European or Korean or wherever you're from, you know, that, you know, you look at Hawaii and you think about what their businesses are going through and, and, and understandably, you know, I'm not trying to be critical of anybody that's, you know, imposed these restrictions for the, the benefit of public health. But from a business perspective, it, it's it's very difficult when, you know, you're, you're put people in these circumstances to be able to not move freely when they arrive or when they come home from the trip. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we talked about the standards that IATO 
wants worldwide. Um, and there just is no coordination with among air, you know, standards of, it, it, with individual governments with what airports and airlines are required to do in terms of public health. But I did want to sort of, that being said, I wanted to shift a little bit to what uh, McCarran is doing. Um, what you just sent, now I'm a journalist, you were a journalist, Chris, and um, I appreciate this, and I'm sure you, you would have in your former life. Um, we always love a press release that comes with a good, good, catchy subject line. Makes us more likely to open it. So Lass all in. Tell me about uh, McCarran being all in. Betting against the spread. So, um, yeah, we, you know, I, I mentioned a moment ago about this idea of giving people this idea of what they can do when they come. But another key aspect of that is giving people a term, and I don't know who current coined this term or how widely it's used, but we've used it a lot here, social confidence. Uh, the idea that when you step out of your home, when you get on a plane, go to a hotel, do, do whatever you would do on a vacation, go to a restaurant, even going out, you know, if you're local and you're just going to the neighborhood restaurant around the corner, do you feel confident in, in this experience? So we took that as a, a key need. You know, until people have that, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, basic thing, that if they feel that that is not being met, they're not going to go. They're not going to leave. Okay, what does that mean? How do you break that back down into the experience of the traveler? Well, we started thinking about from an airport perspective, they need to know some of the things that are being done. Um, we have a, a spray, a fog, uh, you know, electrostatic, I don't know exactly what it does, but it kills germs and that's the key mm -hmm. point. And we were doing that initially in the middle of the night because it was disruptive or, or we thought it was disruptive to customers and that we didn't want to do it when there were people around. As we started to get into this, it was like, you no, know, it was a real paradigm shift. We looked at it, it like, no, we need to be doing that in the middle of the day. We oh. need to be doing that when people can see that it's happening because that instills confidence and that instills confidence that they then share with their friends or their family. Hey, I was in McCarran. You wouldn't believe the things I saw that they were doing to keep the airport clean. You, therefore, can feel good about coming and, and experiencing that if you choose to travel to Las Vegas. That's so, interesting. Let's stop, let's stop there. You know, I, I can – that is <clears throat> Psychology does work because I, I live in San Francisco. I saw I, Muni is the local transit authority, and uh, I happened to be walking past a bus stop and saw saw them fo the Muni employees fogging the, the bus stop mm -hmm. and, and a bus, and that made that made me think, oh, they're doing something. I will ride the bus again. So I see so, your point. <laughs> absolutely correct. So so you know, with that direction in mind, and, and with that mindset in mind, we thought, how do we come about with an effort to do this. My, my boss, Rosemary Vassilios, who oversees the airport, said, she, she's like, I want a campaign. I'm like, all right, well, we're working on one. We've been doing these things. She says, it needs to be a campaign. All right, on it. So we came up with this idea of all, LAS All In, um, playing off of, you know, a lot of gaming-related themes. Right. We, we talk about split your aces, make sure you stand six feet apart. Uh, I, I can't think of how many times my staff has listened to The Gambler by Kenny Rogers to come up <laughs> with like, different thoughts of, you know, what, what what could we do? What are some gaming terms that could come up with this? And we brainstormed it to the nth degree. But the idea behind it is, again, confidence that you can travel, confidence in knowing that the airport is doing what it needs to do. You know, sub-focus of this also is thanking people for coming back. You know, we want them to understand. So the idea of a roulette wheel came into my mind. And, and we have signs in the airport that says red or black because you know, red or black are the colors of the roulette wheel. Red or black, we're glad you're back. Um, you know, we, we want people to know we appreciate them coming, but we also want them to understand what we're doing at the airport. And then to take it a level farther, we are sharing under the auspices of this all-in campaign 
things that are being done by our partners in the travel industry. So the airlines have been phenomenal. You know, across the spectrum, the airlines have been very good using their social media channels, their web presence, all of the different things that are there. The hotels are doing this. The rental car companies are doing this. And, and if I see that Hertz puts out a video, maybe Hertz is a bad example right now. If I see that a rental car company puts out a video talking about the steps that they're taking to uh, ensure that their vehicles are wiped down between customers, we will share that as part of our all-in campaign. If an airline, um, you know, Southwest did a great video a couple of weeks ago about the how the, the filters and the HEPA process on the aircraft to clean the air, because people have this misnomer that, oh, you're breathing the same air as you know, right. 100 people over and over again. They don't understand that that air is clean and filtered every couple of minutes. So sharing that and, and, and cross-populating our content with other content, Southwest picked up our content, retweeted it, shared it over their channels. That's what we want to do is to build these synergies so that you can cross all these audiences. And if there's somebody you know like you, they're at their home, they're in San Francisco, they're thinking about, I want to go to Vegas for the weekend. Well, now you feel comfortable getting on the BART. And if you see something at the airport, you feel comfortable going to SFO. You feel comfortable flying through McCarran on your way back. You feel comfortable getting on, you know, whatever airline that you choose to fly. And, and if we can start to, you know, tick off some of those boxes so that people, whatever their hurdle might be, their impediment to deciding to travel is no longer there, then that benefits everybody in the industry. And then the other part of it is you've got to live it. So, you know, that's one of the things that we've really been pushing from a management perspective in the airport. Uh, we had an internal uh, town hall a couple of weeks ago where, you know, we talked with our top people to everybody, top to bottom. You have to live this. You know, if you're out walking in the terminal and you're not wearing a facial covering when our signs are telling people to cover their faces, it's the weakest leak in the chain. And, and you're not going to be able to you know, effectively convey that message. So we're trying to work with our retailers, with our law enforcement, with the TSA, with everybody that we can, some of whom we can only encourage. We can't force, but certainly with our own employees, you know, we can mandate that. You need to be doing these things when you're out in the airport because you never know who's watching you. Right. And so what, what is, it's, it's a great mark. It's a great campaign. And I, I, um, I think you guys did a nice job with, uh, with the infographic and educating people, but what are some of the steps you're taking to, you know, to ensure public health uh, for our listeners who have not seen the infographic? Like what, what is the airport going to be like when you, when your taxi drops you off in front of McCarran until you get to, to the gate? Well, social distancing is one of the key elements of this. You know, we, we want people to space out. Now, for a time, that was very easy because there was nobody here. You know, we talked yeah. about that a bit ago. It, you know, as the crowds come back, it gets to be a little bit more difficult. Part of the challenge we've seen with social distancing, I think, is the individual responsibility. Um, there is an expectation from some that there are going to be dots on the floor, like a, a, an airport game of Twister. <laughs> and you move from dot to dot, you know, as somebody spins the wheel and no one's supposed to be anywhere but on those dots. That's not practical. That's not really how it works. And, and there was one person early on that sent us a photo complaining about a lack of social distancing at the checkpoint. And if you look at the photo, you know, in the space that's there, there is room for a hundred people and there are probably 12 people in the photo. And, and that, you know, I wanted to write back and, and, and engage with the person and say, look, you don't need to be right on top of that person. The person behind you doesn't need to be right on top of you. There, there's plenty of room so, so we want to encourage that. And social distancing is the first piece of that. So at, at the check-in, you know, we've got plexiglass. The airlines have been, you know, been able to put up plexiglass if they need to. We've shut off every other kiosk so that there's space between the kiosks because then you're not right next to each other. Um, as you move up to the checkpoint, we're wiping down hard surfaces, uh, railings, elevators, buttons, um, the, the handrails on escalators. 
All these things are happening. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, we're doing that very obviously. We're doing that in a way that it happens frequently and that it's seen. Um, we have a lot of employees that have, you know, their duties might not necessarily be what they normally were, but they've been reassigned based on, you know, their old job isn't necessarily critical right now in the, the environment that we're in. They've been reassigned out of those jobs, taken out of an office away from their desk and put out on the floor with a rag and cleaning the you know, apparatus and they're able to wipe down things and, and do that so that we can supplement what our normal cleaning crews are. Um, there are audio messages reminding people, you know, one big thing was encouraging people not to come into the terminal if they didn't need to. You know, you, you don't need to bring the whole family in to say goodbye at the checkpoint anymore. You can do that in the car, you can do that at home. But again, just to limit the number of people that are in the building. Um, as they go out, you know, we're reminding them again, wash your hands, use hand sanitizer, all the basic things. If you're at the restaurant in the food court seating area, you know, we've taken seating out, but sometimes people move chairs around. Sometimes you've got a large family and, and they, they'll pull a couple of tables together. We want to remind our vendors or we want to remind our customers, you know, pull those tables back apart if you need to. Um, all of these things, again, it takes a village. You know, the airport is doing everything it can. But we're one link in the chain. The, you know, the taxi companies and Uber and Lyft need to make sure that they're doing what they, they can do to ensure people are confident getting into their vehicles. The hotels, I think, have done a phenomenal job in, in getting that word out. Uh, the airlines, again, kudos to them. They've done a phenomenal job of getting the word out. And again, if we continually work together in this industry to tell people what is being done and then let them make their own decisions. You know, if you're just not comfortable leaving, You've got a health risk or, or whatever. That's fine. You know, I'm not trying to tell you to get on a plane and, and risk your life if you feel that there is a risk for this. But I do want those that think about it or are considering it to understand this is all the steps that are being taken. And this is what we're doing. And if that's enough to woo them to say, you know what? Yeah, I am going to take that trip. Then that's good for us. Well, I want to talk just quickly about social distancing. Um, you know, as you as you mentioned earlier, it's very easy to to enforce social distancing when you've got a fraction of your traffic. Sure. Um, and it'll be I'm sure it'll be a while, I, even though trends are ticking up. I'm sure it'll be a while before you get your what, 90,000 departing passengers back, you know, back in the terminal. But when you get to, you know, a significant portion of that, let's say 40 30, 40,000 people a day. How, how are you going to, to make sure people stay six feet apart, especially at like choke points like the, the security um, checkpoint? Well, and part of that will involve those staff that I mentioned a moment ago that have been reallocated from their normal jobs. We, we've asked them to be out on the floor and to give a gentle reminder, a gentle nudge if you see people starting to bunch up. Um, some of that's going to come back to how the lines are managed with the TSA how we manage them, you know, we've always had our own staff at McCarran dedicated to line management mm -hmm. because we, unlike some airports, you know, we are very, very peak and valley. Right. You know, we may put the same number of people through an airport on a given day as a, another larger airport, but ours are going to be much more concentrated in terms of when. It's not spread out over the day like you might see in Chicago or New York because if a big convention lets out or, or even frankly, you know, checkout time is noon on a Sunday, you're going to get a lot of people that are going to be leaving on flights in the early afternoon simply because, you know, they, they've had their fun and they're, they're kicked out of their hotel room. So off they come to the airport. So line management has always been something that we've, you know, made very, very diligent effort to do. That won't change. We'll continue to do that. We're just doing it now with instead of trying to make the lines as efficient as possible, maybe we need to make the lines a little bit more spread out for that convenience and safety of people. Well, I will say the first time I ever went to McCarran, um, 
seeing that the way the taxi queue was managed was <laughs> breathtaking to behold. It was uh, it was daunting to look at, but it was uh, it moved fast and it was efficient. Um, Chris, I wanted to you know we're we're at time. I wanted to thank you very much for for joining us on Mondays with Skipped Airline Weekly. Absolutely, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to get on and tell our story. And again. We want to get people traveling. We want them to come to Las Vegas, but I want them to go to Little Rock and I want them to go to Orlando and I want them to go to New York and, and everywhere else as well, too. So let's all work together to get this industry back on its feet and, and get people confident and, and willing to travel. Thanks a lot, Chris. And uh, thank you for joining us today. As I said, this will be redistributed as an audio podcast later in the week and re the video replay will be available on our site, airlineweekly.com, later today. Uh, if you have any feedback, do not hesitate to drop me a line at mu at skiff.com. Thanks once again.